0: It's the NPR Politics Podcast here for our weekly roundup of political news in a week when some seriously scary, sad stuff happened and touched off big political debates. We're also going to talk about what's happening in the Republican primary where no one can seem to touch Donald Trump. And as always, we'll close with Can't Let It Go, where we all share something we just can't stop thinking about. But first, some introductions. I'm Tamara Keith. I'm a White House correspondent for NPR, and I'm also covering the Democratic side of the campaign.
1: I'm Sam Sanders.
2: I cover the campaign here at NPR. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. And I'm Don Gagne. I cover national politics, which means I'm in Iowa a lot, and try the tacos at that new place in Des Moines. <laughs> There's always good tacos. At which place? No, da- taco Apocalypse.
0: That's not oh. the new place. Well,
1: new since the last election. Am I okay with that name, Tacopocalypse? It's amazing. Okay. All but,
0: right. but first, we we have to get to the serious stuff this week, and there's a lot of it. Two mass shootings, one last Friday at a Planned Parenthood clinic in Colorado Springs, and one this week at a government building in San Bernardino. Three dead in the first, 14 in the second. But both events so far are turning into proxies for sort of an ongoing cultural, political war, about guns and about national security. Um, Domenico, we've been talking about this a lot this week. Uh, What do we know about Colorado?
3: Yeah. And, you know, people are just viewing a lot of these things through their own worldview. And Colorado was a perfect example of that because in that case, you know that the Colorado Springs shooter police had said muttered something about baby parts, no more baby parts when he was arrested. That was seen as a reference to the Planned Parenthood videos that were secretly shot and many say edited to make the group appear that they were selling body parts from aborted babies. Uh, And that's something that Democrats jumped on immediately to call for more gun control. You know, there's still a lot of questions, of course, about that husband and wife team in San Bernardino.
0: Absolutely. And the latest we have, and this is Friday afternoon, comes from NPR's Carrie Johnson. A federal source told her that the female shooter in the San Bernardino attacks, pledged support to the leader of ISIS on social media around the time of the attacks. Um, It's still pretty murky. And law enforcement officials are telling Kerry that they don't think that they were necessarily radicalized overseas or taking direction from ISIS, but instead that they may have been inspired by ISIS and self-radicalized. This is an ongoing moving situation. We don't have all of the information, of course. But that has not stopped the political discussion from going full force. Yeah, no
3: question about it, right? I mean, as soon as these these things both happened, we saw Democrats immediately call for gun control in both situations, even before they knew the identity of the shooters in San Bernardino, even before, of course, they knew uh, that one of the people had pledged allegiance to ISIS. And You saw both sides really interpreting this through how they wanted to interpret this. And when it's a domestic event
2: like this, a a shooting, the Republicans always react with prayers. And then they also immediately push back against anything from Democrats calling for more gun control, more limits on gun purchases, tougher regulations.
0: In this case, you're talking about the reaction to the Colorado shooting.
2: Yes, yes. But uh, then San Bernardino happened and the Republicans felt compelled to react. They didn't know what it was.
0: And nobody knew what it was.
2: And we still don't fully know what it is, obviously. Uh, But the Republican reaction was very muted. It was prayers. Prayers, thoughts and prayers. prayers thoughts and prayers prayers for the victims uh, prayers for the law enforcement officials for the, for the first responders but nothing on any broader political
1: issue at all and there was a backlash to this whole thoughts and prayers coming from GOP office holders um, lots of folks on social media were saying we need more than prayers Um, Enough is enough
2: Exactly. Uh, exactly. was one thing I saw a lot. Uh, God will not solve this. Yeah,
3: and the New York Daily News kind of uh, had started some of this where they had this really provocative cover as one of the tabloids in New York that said, God can't fix this. And God can't fix this along with thoughts and prayers became a hashtag. But over and over again when it comes to the politics, and we saw this at the Republican Jewish Coalition event that was happening that day. Republicans went immediately to say, we are at war. Ted Cruz had said that we're at war. And you saw Democrats pushing back to say the thoughts and prayers aren't enough. And I think what's so interesting about the shooting in
1: California this week is that in so many ways, it doesn't follow the script of recent mass shootings. Like, I was in Sandy Hook. I was in Santa Barbara. I was in Aurora. Covering and,
0: them.
1: Covering them, yes. And and I always knew kind of what was going to happen day one, day two, day three. You know? Because of the predictable because response. Because of the predictable yeah. response. Yeah. And just, like, the predictable bio of who these shooters were, like – with this shooting, it was a couple that was married. They had a small child. Like so many Six parts of this old. narrative, and it was an office different. party. Exactly. You know? Like, and you know. so I think all the murkiness and newness of this storyline gives everyone enough cover to find whatever point they want to pull out of to it. To say that everything and nothing is exactly. right about it. Yeah. It's,
2: it's like a mashup of these. Yeah. Uh, of these situations. Like, like is th- it
1: terrorism? Is it a mass shooting? We don't like. It's so much. Yeah. And if you're someone who wants to call out the
2: Democrats for not using the term radical Islamic terrorism, there's something for you in this one to highlight. Uh, Democrats early on, though they've been backing off just a little bit, uh, focused more on the guns issue exclusively. But now that's broadening out a little bit.
0: And I think one gun issue that uh, came up in Congress this week and last week and will come up again is is this idea that uh, and the president also mentioned it, that people on the terrorism no fly list can buy guns in America. That there's nothing to stop them from getting a gun. Uh, and and I think Democrats are going to try to make that a political issue. But then again, in this case
3: Which doesn't appear to have anything to do with the shooting. It right? doesn't appear to have <laughs> yeah.
0: any, these people were not on terror watch lists. And right. then
1: I mean just thinking of terror and the way that we define terrorism, it means lots of different things to different people. You know, I looked up what the FBI defines terrorism as. Uh, they have two categories there's domestic terrorism and international terrorism but the one thing that appears in both definitions is that they appear to be intended to either one intimidate or or coerce a civilian population two influence the policy of a government by intimidation or coercion or three affect the conduct of a government by mass destruction assassination or kidnapping and it's like under that definition I could see people on both sides saying one or both or none of these
3: events are terrorism. And you saw that from our political leaders this week. I mean, you saw very different reactions. Uh, You saw President Obama when he was first interviewed by CBS when the tragedy was first starting out, how it was unfolding, and he reacted this way. The one thing we do
2: know is that uh, we have a pattern now of of mass shootings in this country that uh, has no parallel anywhere else in the world. And there are some steps we could take not to
0: eliminate every one of these mass shootings, uh, but uh, to improve the odds that uh, they don't happen as frequently. Uh, Mm -hmm. Common sense, gun safety laws,
2: uh, stronger background checks.
3: So he went right away to... Guns as th- the And this was
0: still happening. At the time this interview was done... Mm-hmm. It has
3: really sped up, right? I mean, yeah. the, from the time that, Sam, you'd been in Aurora or Sandy Hook oh, even, Oh, yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. I mean, like, we've all gotten so familiar with the playbook of how to respond and cover these mass shootings. So we expect them almost now, and everyone is really prepped to go into overdrive of coverage. And I think that the president
3: was prepared to say what he's been saying a lot. And that wound up tripping him up, actually, yeah, because, because when as we talk about the mashup out, of yeah. how this shooting had evolved, as those details came out, he started to react a little bit differently, didn't he?
0: And here he was in the Oval Office.
3: It is possible
0: that this was terrorist-related, but we don't know. It's also possible that this was workplace-related. Uh, and until uh, the FBI has been able to conduct uh, what are going to be a large number of interviews uh, until we understand and i think that uh, one could argue that the understanding is still in process that we're we're it's going to be a a yeah. while yeah. but a much this. more somber tone
3: from the president yeah, there absolutely. as opposed to what he had initially thought that it was a, mass shooting of the kind that we've seen previously.
0: And this was very different from after the Umqua Community College uh, shooting where he came out and said, people are going to accuse me of being political here. And you know what? This is political and I'm going to be political. Yeah. Well, this if this is terrorism and it's b- beginning to look that way, then this is a very different issue for President Obama. It's about keeping Americans safe at home against a threat that is very, very hard to figure out. It's a it's a, you know a lone wolf shooters are or <laughs> lone couples. Um, this lone wolf shooter that self-radicalized, this is the thing that our security professionals are scared to death of. And this
2: this is not this is not a 9/11 here, but it is the kind of incident that as 9-11 did can have a very profound impact on all kinds of issues going forward issues that the president discusses in issues that the congress will will debate and that those candidates kind of unfiltered uh in many cases will take to voters uh in an effort to win votes in places like iowa and new
3: hampshire and donald trump You were at a rally earlier this week right after the shootings, right? And, I mean, you may have sort of expected that to be one of the dominant portions of it, but he actually reacted differently, right? He he reacted differently. It's worth hearing him. Again, this was
2: when the situation was still very fluid, uh, was, was actually still an active situation. And we all assume that Trump would say something about it. And you never assume Trump will dial it back and be careful what he says. But he did two things. He called for a moment of silence, a seven-second moment of silence. Uh, And he praised the law enforcement authorities. Uh, He he, he did that in his own way. Let's let's give a listen. When you see these shootouts, I can tell you one thing. I don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. So we want to thank the police and law enforcement. They're
0: unbelievable people.
2: Don't want to do what? I'm sorry. That be me. involved in a shootout. You're lucky that the police were there to be in that shootout oh. for you. So we should praise them and okay. their courage. I don't want to do it. I don't want to be the first responder. It yeah. was, was, was basically how he was saying it. Yeah.
0: About the politics of this, does this and this seems like inappropriate to even ask, but who does this help? Who does this hurt in the presidential race?
2: On the Republican side, uh, I, it absolutely helps Donald Trump, and we can see that in the polls. Uh, he has, while not offering specific uh, proposals for how to deal with ISIS or what to do in Syria or who to support, or he, he doesn't go there at all, but before Paris happened, he was in Fort Dodge, Iowa, uh, a speech on a, on a weekday evening in, in the first-in-the-nation caucus state. And just give a listen to what he said. They have certain areas of oil that they took away. They have some in Syria, some in Iraq. I would bomb the shit out of them.
0: ISIS, that is.
2: ISIS, he's talking about. Uh, that was before Paris. That line when he said it was kind of one of those shocking things that Donald Trump said. You could hear that cheer. Every event practically since Paris. He includes some variation of that line in it. And I can tell you the crowd erupts with chants of USA, USA. Uh, Is bomb the S out of ISIS a specific proposal? No. But you know something? It is the exact kind of specific proposal that Trump supporters
3: want to hear. They know exactly what that means. In the short term, though, I think it does help Republicans. I mean, I think that there's just the way in which you're able to talk about the response to this. People want to have conviction in what the response should be. And I think there's some evidence of that in how Hillary Clinton talked about this as opposed to Barack Obama, where she in uh, in New Hampshire Went to it as soon as she found out that there was some potential uh, overseas influence or connection to this couple. She called this an act of terrorism. And that just tells you, I mean, like we talked about, terrorism can mean different things to different people.
0: I wonder if this ends up being more like the Boston Marathon bombing and less like, you know, your average Hate to say it, average uh, mass shooting. If it will have an effect on the American psyche in that way,
1: I mean, but the Boston Marathon—and correct me if I'm wrong—it didn't lead to any new laws changing anything,
2: right? There was
0: nothing that could be done, really.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it added to that sense
2: of unease and anxiety that yeah, yes. things can happen here. Um, and again, we don't know where Donald Trump's poll numbers are going to go, and 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 we don't want to put too much faith in what the polls are, are, are telling us, but they're giving us you know, pretty consistent trend lines in terms of his support. Uh, let's go through the history of Donald Trump. He's somebody who just shows up at these events for publicity. He's somebody who's not going to run. He's somebody who is now running, but isn't going to win. Uh, this is what the establishment uh, has not, been saying is about him. This is the establishment, right? Yeah. Uh, he's somebody who gets into the race and leads in the polls. Uh, he leads in the polls. Well, it's a temporary blip. It's something. It's not going to last. Well, now we were we are past five months, six months, with him leading in the polls, and the feeling was from pundits, others, that as soon as things got real in terms of scary international stuff, that that's when Donald Trump would be. Uh, mm-hmm. Revealed to know nothing of foreign policy. He'd
0: melt away. Um,
2: and it doesn't not appear happening. that that is happening at all. It's going the other way. Well,
3: for one example, I mean, the CNN poll uh, just out this week had Donald Trump at 36 percent, up 20 points over the next closest person. And. What's more, this was a poll taken before the San Bernardino shootings, but after the Paris attacks, more Republicans, 30 points more, think he can better handle ISIS than his closest competition with Ted Cruz. 30 points. Uh, You know, that's 46 percent of Republicans. That's nearly half. I mean, in such a huge field like that is a significant and telling reason for why Donald Trump has actually gained steam after the ISIS stuff. We played that bite of the bomb, the expletive out of them in that Republican base. People want to hear something that is going to make them feel like the United States is going to take action and that they have a candidate who's channeling the feelings that they have on the ways to go about that.
0: Well let's move on to the climate talks that are happening in Paris. Uh, world leaders gathered there, many of them have come home and now it's now it's the nerds that are working it out. Uh, we've covered this the nerds. <laughs> the nerds, the science nerds. Wow. We're not nerds? Different kinds. (laughs) Not climate nerds, maybe, right? (laughs) Okay. Okay. Now the climate nerds are working it out, uh, trying to get a carbon reduction agreement. Uh, We covered this a bit last week on the podcast, but, Domenico, you've been looking at some polling.
3: Yeah, you know, what's fascinating here is when you think about what President Obama could accomplish at climate talks and whether or not anything can get done, there are two countries that have to come up with a solution, really, to be on board here, the United States and China. In both countries, they far underperform, let's say, other countries as far as how serious a problem they think climate change is. For example, 18% of people in China, only 18% think climate change is a very serious problem. The global median was 54%. In addition to that, 49% of people in China think climate change is actually hurting people now. So you have 18% of them saying it's a very serious problem, while almost half of them, even though, think it's actually hurting people. So it makes it very difficult to come up with something globally that the president can put together. But then when you think about the domestic politics, it's even more difficult because of the split between Republicans and uh, Democrats. Republicans, only 20% think it's a very serious problem. So when anyone thinks about whether or not getting through Congress something like a treaty on climate change, um, it's got about as much chance as gun control legislation does, frankly.
0: Which is why they're not actually trying to get a treaty through Congress. Mm-hmm. They're specifically not doing a treaty because they know there's no chance right now. Absolutely. Let's turn to just pure politics, a little horse racey. Not a lot happening on the Democratic side. Uh, polling shows Hillary Clinton solidifying her lead. Uh, but Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders does quite well in those polls that do head-to-head uh, comparisons uh, with him against Republican candidates. And on the GOP side, as we talked about before, there are these new polls out that show Donald Trump in the lead. More in the lead than he was before. It's huge, his lead. <laughs> I and his opponents, what you tried to do that. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Huge, <laughs> huge, yeah. huge, huge, huge. And his opponents?
3: It's the best lead ever.
0: And his (laughs) opponents don't know what to do about it. No
3: one's ever had a lead like that. You'll get so (laughs) tired of leading. Now, he obviously doesn't poll as well in a general election when it comes to general election matchups with either Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders or whoever's going to be the nominee. And what I think that Democrats still just don't get And I, you know, I've been looking at this for, you know, almost a decade of Republicans winning governor's races, winning legislative seats, taking over the House, taking back the Senate. All of the pieces are in place for Republicans to enact any agenda that they want. The only thing that's missing is the White House. And just this past week, you saw the Senate pass a repeal of Obamacare through a process called reconciliation, which in shorthand, all people need to know about that is it takes 51 votes to pass something. It's a temporary thing that expires eventually, but it's how Obamacare was passed. Yeah, ironically, mm-hmm. the
0: Obamacare or, repeal that the Senate passed is through the exactly the same sort of obscure mechanism that Obamacare was created under. Or not so
3: ironically, because I think that Republicans probably did it on purpose and said, you, you did it this way. You want to play with process? Guess what? We will play with process, too. And when Republicans get a president, they're showing that they are going to do whatever it takes. So anybody, any of the pundits or any of the people who had predicted that Republicans, there's no way they're going to get rid of Obamacare because, you know, they don't want to see millions of people lose their health insurance. This was a popular conventional wisdom statement that I never quite really got when you're talking about 60 times or so Republicans have voted in some way to either repeal parts of or all of the health care law. Um This looks like a pretty clear path of what Speaker Paul Ryan, a leader Mitch McConnell, and a president, I don't know, Trump, Rubio, Cruz, Cruz, take your pick. Uh, The health care law, as it was priority number one for President Obama, is going to be priority number one for whoever a Republican president is if that person does win.
0: Which is a real motivator for Republican voters. It's also Democrats hope A motivator for their voters.
2: Because of all that, because of the White House being the last missing piece for Republicans, this year is seen as a really big opportunity for the party, which brings us back to the Republican frontrunner, Donald Trump. And Republicans themselves, uh, kind of establishment Republicans, are trying to come to grips with the possibility that he could be the nominee. Uh, And a, a memo went out from the senior political advisor to the National Republican Senatorial Committee, kind of envisioning Trump as the nominee. And they describe Trump in this memo as a misguided missile. Uh, I'll read from it. Let's face facts. Trump says what's on his mind, and that's a problem. Our candidates will have to spend full time defending him or condemning him if that continues. And that's a place we never, ever want to be. So they lay out this strategy of when they should push back against Trump, uh, but they don't want to
3: be about the business of continuing condemning the guy who's at the top of the ticket, where they can support him. But it's a delicate balance that they have to strike. I mean, in this, they also say, you've got to run your own race. He says, don't get drawn into every Trump statement and every Trump dust up. He said, Trump is subject to, quote, farcical fits. He said, choose opportunities to take the moral high ground instead. Change your look, uh, because if you don't look like Donald Trump, then and your campaign, and that Democrats no one have, looks like Donald Trump. But, Be Democrats, casual. Wear jeans. And Demo- yeah. Democrats have been trying to actually, in this kind of farcical way, if I can use that word, make all of the Senate candidates and others look like Donald Trump literally by photoshopping
0: his hair
1: onto these candidates. There's
0: been some bad photoshopping that's <laughs> but like, for sure.
1: There was one other Trump event this week uh, that I was really focused on um, for a few days before this past Monday. Trump had announced that he was going to roll out the endorsement of 100 black pastors in New York at Trump Tower on Monday. As soon as the names of those pastors were announced and news of this got out, a lot of those pastors that were named said, wait, 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 uh-uh, uh-uh, not me, right? So then there's all this controversy and scandal around the event. The weekend before it, you can see a lot of these black pastors themselves spatting back and forth on Twitter. I saw some pastors calling other uh, pastors prostitutes and whores for going to a meeting with Trump because of his rhetoric uh, about black people and other groups. And of course,
0: this followed just immediately followed a Black Lives activist at one of his events getting Beaten by people in the audience
1: and then Trump saying that maybe this guy deserved it and some folks said that this whole black pastors event was in response to that you know and this also happened after the tweet that trump sent out that had some really incorrect stats about whether or not black people kill most white people etc it was just Which was, wasn't true it was, wasn't yeah. true so anyways there's all this controversy about this event with the black pastor well and
3: First, there was going to be a press conference with a hundred endorsements that I was going to go right? to.
1: I was going to go up to New York for this thing, and then and then Aww. he canceled last minute, right? Yeah, it canceled. Yeah. Then he they're
3: not going out. to do it. So and then they wound up doing an impromptu press so conference they, anyway. Yes. Yeah, so,
1: so they still have the event with much fewer people, um, not hundred endorsements, not hundred endorsements. But it's it's like it's typical Trump. Like even with all of this drama and scandal, he still ends up having some media availability with enough black people around him to be able to say, "I did it." Carried
0: live on cable.
1: And, and, you know, I I talked to several pastors. um, One, Corletta Vaughn, she was invited. Her name ended up on the announcement for the endorsements, and she said, nope, not me. But she said that she wasn't going to go to this thing because she thought she was going to get used.
0: You know, this was a get
2: played moment. Just play the preachers, put them in the same room, take pictures, and
3: then you can put anything you want in terms of content with a picture
1: even if she felt like she wasn't a part of this get played moment, Trump still got his moment with black pastors. Well, and he he did, still
3: got it. And he did get some to He got endorse some endorsements. Right? You know, I mean, Daryl yeah, Scott Daryl uh, Scott, who Ohio. was a
1: mastermind of this event, and, and he endorsed him a while back. You know, He was still there. Um, I think Omarosa Manigault, who was a black contestant on his show The Apprentice, was there. She was a minister briefly. And there were a handful of others that were there to endorse him. Uh, so Trump knows the media. He knows how to work it. He is yeah, good the, at this.
3: People who underestimate Trump you know, the motivation, the planning, the strategy, I think they do so at their peril. And I think that the establishment Republicans are only now starting to really mm-hmm. realize that they thought that Jeb Bush could be their proxy to take him down. And he certainly was not.
0: All righty. Now it is time for Can't Let It Go, where we talk about the things we just can't stop thinking about this week in politics or elsewhere. Domenico, let's go with you. Well, the thing
3: that was really uh, stuck with me this week is the fact that when it comes to money in this campaign, everyone knows that a ton of money is being spent. If you're in an early state, you can't avoid ads. But the problem here is we're actually seeing an inverse effect for some candidates on the people who are spending the most are actually finding the least amount of traction. So, for example, Danielle Kurtzleben, who works on our team, put together this great chart where from September when Jeb Bush had first started running ads to now, he's actually gone down in the polls, which is pretty And he's spent how much money? He has spent uh, more than $30 million, so the Super PAC Whoa. supporting him has spent $30 million on ads. Uh, and Marco Rubio, who has started spending, you know, he's seen a marginal rise, but that also correlates and coincides with uh, his debate performances. The other candidates, though, who've done very little to spend, Donald Trump in particular, lots of free earned media, TV, as we call it. He is rocketing to the top of the polls and has barely spent any money.
0: Well, and part of it, it may be that if you have a very clear message.
3: It's
2: blunt. It works well in really short bursts and... People who like him say this is as specific as it needs to be.
0: Don Gagné, what can you not let go of this week?
2: I stared into the eyes of Dick Cheney. The real one? And he stared back. Both. (laughs) (laughs) It was the brand new, newly unveiled marble bust of Cheney. Every vice president... Since 1885, has been afforded this honor, a marble bust in the U.S. Capitol building. Cheney's was unveiled this week. They had the ceremony. Uh, the bust its a pretty good likeness. It looks right through you.
0: <laughs> it looks right. At, well. <laughs> like, like he's poking you in the chest. <laughs> and
2: he's got that kind of slightly crooked, Cheney, thin smile. And smirk, smirk, uh, we'll call it a smile, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so they had the unveiling this week. George W. Bush was there, Joe Biden spoke. Uh, there were people like Trent Lott there, the former Senate Majority Leader who's been gone how long, now? right? Yeah, um, a decade almost. Uh, yeah, um, it was a little bit like being at a high school reunion, though, right? So, in a good way or a bad way, uh, well, um, <laughs> <laughs> no judgment. (laughs) And again, because I covered all eight years of the Bush presidency. So you would see people, kind of mid-level staffers or aides who didn't deal with you all the time. And you'd say, hey, there's, I can't remember your name.
0: Don, there were some jokes told at this thing, sort of like a roast. What was your favorite joke?
2: Uh, George W. Bush uh, brought greetings from his father, George H. W. Bush to Cheney. You may recall there's that new biography, the John Meacham biography of the elder Bush, and in it he is very critical of uh, Donald Rumsfeld and Cheney as being kind of these hardliners that gave his son bad advice uh, while while they were all in the White House. And in the book, uh, H. W. Bush refers to Cheney as. Iron Ass. Iron Ass. Iron Ass. So Bush said that uh, when he told his mom and dad he was coming to this event, the elder Bush said, uh, give his greetings and his best wishes to old Iron Ass. (laughs) Isn't that cute? It was a nice moment. Uh, Yes.
0: Sam Sanders. Speaking of Iron Ass. Yeah. Iron
1: Ass. (laughs) Hey. I do my squats. I don't forget about leg day.
0: Sam (laughs) Sanders, (laughs) what can you not let go?
1: My new nickname, Iron Ass, is what I can't say. <laughs> um, but besides that, I have really been into this recently unearthed, kind of behind the scenes video of Ted Cruz and his family shooting a campaign ad. Start looking at me. In the- he had a dream. It seems to have been put up on YouTube by the campaign, or folks related with it. But it's like the uncut edition. So it's like 45 minutes of Cruz and his family trying to get the right takes. And it, I, I could not take my eyes away. There's like these scenes where Cruz is at the table with his wife and kids, having the kids say grace, and they start having to say grace over and over. Okay, so who wants to say grace? Me. Okay, who wants to say grace? I
2: do. Okay, good. Okay, let's say grace. Father, thank you for this the stay.
1: There's this you really see. crazy moment where Cruz wants his mom to talk about some moment, and she's like, I don't want to do that. It's too personal.
2: That's too personal, Ted. I don't want to tell that.
1: Well, I want to tell that. You're the best person to tell
2: that. Well, there's some very personal details.
1: So the weird backstory of this for me, it's like this was put out by the campaign because the campaign cannot collude with super PACs or other groups that want to make ads for Cruz. So they'll put this stuff up and then these outside groups can take from that footage to make ads it's a giant b-roll dump for them exactly yep. um, and so that for me was fascinating but number two um, so is it possible that this video was posted not just to be
3: in some super PAC commercial but also just to get us talking about this raw footage yeah, I mean, the main part of it is to get in the super pack, but at the same time, maybe they don't mind so much that this material is out there. I mean, it shows you kind of being, you know, authentic in in how the process goes goes down.
0: Though they don't really have any other option for getting this video to the super pack other than just putting it all out for the whole world to yeah. see.
2: The only thing they might have done is not released the multiple takes. Yeah, they, they put the have, whole thing. They could
0: have edited the thing. <laughs>
3: Which yeah. makes you wonder if it was, you or know, just, done intentionally? Because or just, if they, because yeah. it does, you know, if you're going to have those multiple takes where you have the pieces that you know will never air, that's what raises some of the skepticism of whether or not you know it was intended yeah. to be something that could maybe go viral. Yeah. It's
2: good fodder too for an anti-Ted
3: Cruz pack yeah. to At, show take after take well, after take. You know, we wouldn't be talking about this, probably, if if they didn't leak the whole thing.
0: And that's what they call free media.
2: I'm Ted Cruz, and I approve this message. I'm Ted Cruz, and that I could approve this And then the kids come in, too, right? I'm Ted Cruz,
1: and, and we, we approve this, this message. message. But they weren't on time. Okay, a little bit faster, though. That was good. Do it again, kids. I'm Ted Cruz, and, and we approve this message. message. Close. No cigar. I'm Ted
2: Cruz, and, and we, we approve, approve this, this message. message.
1: <laughs> Once more for good measure. <laughs>
2: I'm Ted Cruz, and we approve this message. (laughs) Yeah. I'm Ted Cruz, and we approve this message. Yeah,
1: so couldn't let it go.
0: And now to the thing that I can't let go, the feel the burn challenge, which is a take on the ALS ice bucket challenge. So in the feel the burn challenge, you can either do a super intense workout, or you can eat some sort of insane hot pepper concoction.
2: Hello, I'm Nat Alistair from Asheville, North Carolina, and I'm accepting the Feel the Burn challenge by eating a mixture of wasabi, which we're I saw one Bernie supporter
0: take a jalapeno out. pepper, and put wasabi inside oh. of it, just, and then nope. pour nope. Nope. fire hot sauce There's on top of that, that and start off. eating it, and then try to talk. Oh,
3: <clears throat> I'm willing to feel the burn for so many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> this week, because of his stance on immigration, um, because I've been thinking a lot about Syria this week, and the thought that we're talking about turning immigrants away from America right now is absolutely disgusting. <laughs> of course. I nominate three mm-hmm. people. What did what oh did immigration goodness. have to oh do with
1: the he Oh, likes oh you're Sanders stance? Do to- you say what you like Bernie for. You're supposed to say
0: why you're feeling the burn. Gotcha. How but does so- that help Bernie Sanders? So what rise you do? No, this is this is what you do. You you do this challenge. You call out 3 friends and encourage them to do it and then if they do it then you have to give 50 bucks to Bernie Sanders campaign. And then okay,
1: but the optics of this. So you got these randos on a on on like a YouTube screen telling you why they like Bernie Sanders while in tears from eating red hot peppers. It's not really a good look, (laughs)
2: right? It
0: is showing their dedication and as someone who. But I'd rather see them smiling
2: doing this. this
0: They're trying to smile. (laughs) If
2: you are amused, that's enough.
0: And I've spent quality time with Bernie Sanders supporters, and these people. They are dedicated. They, I mean, they would walk over hot coals and they would eat hot peppers for their man.
2: And we have video evidence. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
0: Okay, that's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening. And we want to remind you that you can hear a lot more of NPR's political coverage if you turn on your radio. Tune into your local public radio station to do it. We're on NPR's morning edition and All Things Considered, talking all the time about many of these very same things. And I'm Tamara Keith, NPR White House correspondent.
3: I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. Domenico Montanaro, political editor. And Don
2: Gagne, national political correspondent.
0: And of course, you can find us all on Twitter. And we will see you next time on the NPR Politics Podcast. Thanks for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. For music, games, puzzles, and trivia of all sorts right now, check out Ask Me Another. Play along with a Seinfeld-themed version of Taboo, games of mysterious phenomena, and see what you know about some of the lesser-known puppets on Sesame Street. Ask Me Another is like trivia night, but a lot funnier. Play along now at npr.org slash podcasts. That's npr.org slash podcasts or on the NPR One app.